roam around and protect <laughs> us. Yeah. So this isn't as much of a situation as is a question, mm-hmm. I guess, for you. So I took a trip out of the state this mm-hmm. weekend, and I was getting lunch, and we were standing in line at Wendy's, and there was someone in front of me, and he was on his phone, and he was playing Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. And I play Hearthstone a little mm-hmm. bit. And I'm kind of casually watching his screen. And then he, like, I guess, you know, when you feel like somebody looking at you, he just randomly turns over and sees me. And then he, like, covers his screen and, like, <laughs> hides it. And it just made me think, I'm like, how private do you think your phone screen is when you're out in public if you're playing games, right? Like, yeah. anytime someone's playing a a video game, especially when we were growing up, it's like an invitation to like watch, right? Like, you know, you go over to a friend's house and that's sometimes what you do. You just yeah. watch your friend play video games. And now that they're mobile, I was thinking to myself like, okay, w- was it weird that I was watching him play his <laughs> game? Like, is, is that really as weird as he made it seem? Uh-huh. Or do I have a right to be like, he's playing a video game. Like I'm naturally going to watch that. And he just needs to understand like, Hey, if you're playing a video game out in public, people are going to be watching mm-hmm. who's, who's right. And who's wrong. Justin settle this internal debate that I've, well, I think myself. what makes it muddy is that it's on his phone, right? Like, I feel like if it was on a game boy, you wouldn't have the same issue maybe. But I mean, isn't the phone the, um, but you think about how much personal information is on your phone. There's a lot of, of personal information on there. Right. And so it's a kind of a personal device. Right. So I think that's what makes it seem... But the same... I, I mean, the thing... To me, it's just weird because you're just playing a game. It's not like you're like looking at dirty pictures or something. You're just playing a game. Like, who cares? I mean, unless he's ashamed to be seen playing a nerdy game, you know what I mean? In which case it's like, you know, get over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I reject the idea that it's nerdy, but uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying maybe that's his insecurity. Right. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. I I feel like there's nothing like I shouldn't feel bad. I did feel bad. And then now I'm like, you know what? Right. I don't feel bad. It was a video game. Right. (laughs) I'm not looking at him. And here's the other thing, too, right? You're out in public. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be looking at private pictures anyway. You know? Sure. So I, I see somebody playing a video game. I play the video game. I'm going to I'm gonna look. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. So thank you. I don't, yeah, it's really, it's kind of no different as if, like, he was watching a basketball game, right? And, like, you're interested in, the, let's say he's watching the finals and you want to see what's going on in the finals. Right. I don't see it as being really any different than that. So I guess my my final question is, where is the line? Is it always on the person on the phone to not be looking at something that's personal and private? Or you as the person who is in line or whatever to know like, okay, I'm not going to look at the screen now. Like for any game, it's good to just watch. Or is there some point where you go, uh, don't watch them? You know what? I don't think I don't think there is a line. And I this is what I this is my challenge. I think first of all, something we talked about last week, I think it was, 
is with Periscope, right? It's like people are using their phones to broadcast everything about their lives. Who cares if somebody's watching you play a video? You know what I mean? Like this is the next time that happens. If someone like if that if in that situation where that guy like turns away, like don't look at my screen or whatever, I would want to be like, let me see what you've posted on Twitter lately. Let me see what you've posted on Facebook lately from your phone. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And you don't want me looking at some stupid game you're playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the amount of stuff that people share on their phones from their phones is incredible. So it's like, who? there is no line. I don't think there's a, if you have your phone out in public doing whatever, free game, man. Anybody can look at it. You don't want nobody looking at it. Put it away. Put it away. That's what Thank the line you. is. Yeah. I mean, he really made me feel like. Like I invaded his privacy. I don't even, I've never played her, so I don't even know what I don't even know what the terminology is. It's just right. something, right? Um, so I watched a movie this week. Uh, a movie that I'm curious to see if it's made. I don't know how long it's been on Netflix, but I'm curious to see if it's made it uh, made its way onto your uh, one of your marathon terrible movie sessions. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They came together. Have you watched it? Oh, I watched it. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I hate that movie. Do you really? Yeah. I didn't mind it that much. What? Yeah. I kind of felt like, I mean, it's obviously, so how long ago did you watch it? I watched it a while ago. Mm. Um, Elise and I actually, uh, like, downloaded it from Voodoo. Like, we streamed it. Yeah, we streamed it Mm. from Voodoo because I heard so many people talking about it. And it's like, Mm. it's great. And we watched the, the trailer. And they have the scene where she, like, falls down. The stairs, there's like a scene mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's a funny scene. It's a funny scene. Yeah. So, but you hate and it. That's it for the, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I can honestly say I hated it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously like it's a 10 minute sketch, right? Stretched out to movie length. And it's, um, see, from, from the trailer, I kind of expected it to be a movie that I hated. Uh, now I watched the trailer a long time ago when it was in theaters, but it was on Netflix and it just was like a slow day or whatever. So I was like, well, let me watch this. And I just kind of feel like it's got so many jokes in it that some of them have to be funny, right? <laughs> and well, yeah. I thought some of them were. Oh, okay, yeah. And so that's kind of all it was for me. <laughs> it was just kind of like, it was a good time waster. I didn't think it was great, but I did think it had some pretty funny moments, like the stairs gag. Okay. I mean, other than that, I can't think of any. Exactly. (laughs) But I thought it was pretty good. And I liked the, I think what I liked most about it was just the concept of taking all subtext out of rom-coms and playing it completely straight. You know what I mean? So like, Instead of like this, like I thought the scene, I thought the scene where they were having dinner with her parents and they just start going on this like super racist tirade was funny. Mm -hmm. Not because the tirade is funny, but Mm -hmm. because like there's so many scenes in rom-coms where like 
like the writer or director think they're being like subtly funny because this family is kind of saying racist things but in this scene. They're just saying like straight out awful, terribly racist. You know what I mean? I just liked that lack of subtlety, I guess. I guess that's what I like the most about it. And I think that probably applies to the falling down the stairs scene as well. Oh, that's right. Because it's like in a montage of she's like, I'm the Get- klutzy girl or whatever. Right. right. So that's what I liked about it the most is that it just takes all those tropes and it just is like, look at how actually really stupid these tropes are. Yeah, except it doesn't, to me, go as far as it needs to to really cross over and be a truly kind of interesting satire on its own. It's just a collection of like funny observations about, you know, rom-coms. Yeah, and with- they're not even like original observations yeah yeah. they're not original and then i all i remember too and i watched a while ago is like a six minute scene is rob riggle in or somebody like that Mm -hmm. no 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 it's it's not rob riggle but some guy from the state i think you know michael ian black maybe no 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 they go to his house and i think it's like he's playing a game or something and it's just this over the top like dirty joke i think about diarrhea or something and he just keeps going Mm -hmm. on and on and on upping himself and it didn't work from second one Mm -hmm. all the way to minute eight i was like they need to like move on and you know that that was that it felt like it was that guy's idea he's like oh keep the camera rolling i got a good idea Mm -hmm. and then they just kept in as a random it wasn't spoofing anything with Mm rom-coms it was just like this guy trying to be fun, trying really hard to be funny. And I just imagine like everybody laughing off camera. And I was like, this does not belong in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this scene is interminable. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember from it. I don't remember. I, I kind of remember the scene, but I don't really remember it explicitly. Yeah, I can't and remember. I he's like yelling. <laughs> he's like trying to explain. He's like telling, I think, again, it has to do with like bathroom humor. He's telling uh-huh. that story by himself. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, but it's not It's not funny at all. Yeah. So you've been watching something on HBO? I did. I watched Tales of the Grim Sleeper. Have you heard about that? I haven't. I've. It's new? Yeah. I haven't heard it. I've never heard it at all, that name at all, as a matter of fact. Um, it's a series? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> it's a documentary. And I'd heard about it. It played some uh, film festivals before. And what I was hearing about it, number one, everyone was loving it. And people were talking about, like, it's about this serial killer called the Grim Sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very uh, scary serial killer name. Well, what you find out is that that was the name that, like, the police gave him or, or media gave him mm-hmm. because they thought there's, like, a 20-year gap in his murders. So they call him like the grim sleeper because he slept for 20 years and then came back. It makes it even worse. Yeah. Well, he never stopped. (laughs) And he potentially has killed over 100 women. Jeez. Yeah. And what year year is this from? What decade? He was was arrested in 2010. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And basically... I thought I was going to get, and I, I I like just true crime stories. Right. And I thought I was going to get like true crime story. Instead, what I got was 
the story of this guy and then this documentarian goes to his uh his neighborhood and just starts like asking people about, like do you know about the grim sleeper do you know about the grim sleeper it's in LA and um he he slowly finds that they're like this guy was widely known and at first it's it's just shaping up like a normal kind of narrative nice guy He'd help out everybody, you know, had a right. family of his own, whatever. And then it slowly morphs into <clears throat> an examination of why wasn't this man caught earlier with how active he was over decades. And what the documentarian gets to is basically it's because he killed prostitutes and it's because they were black that the police did not prioritize Mm -hmm. these murders, these women and people in the neighborhood. Like as he starts investigating, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought something was wrong with them. And, and then stories get more and more revealing where people were like watching him, you know, basically get ready to murder people Mm -hmm. almost. And, but he would give, you know, they'd be high or whatever. And uh, it's it's interesting kind of flip where you realize he's not interested in the Grim Sleeper at all. Mm-hmm. He's interested in exposing this, you know, injustice to these people mm-hmm. because they're viewed as not people. Or they're viewed, he has a series where he, where he goes and finds people who survived the Grim Sleeper. And there's a lot of them who are still alive. Mm-hmm. None of them were interviewed by police. But when he puts them back to back to back to back, you realize like, yeah. This wouldn't work for a jury, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you go up and you see somebody who's missing teeth and is kind of misremembering dates. Right. It's easy for a defense to be like unreliable, unreliable. Mm -hmm. Right. But that that can't minimize their experience. You know, like if I was almost killed, Mm -hmm. I would want justice, Mm -hmm. you know, but because these women are unreliable witnesses, potentially because they don't look the part, you realize they aren't fit for our justice system. I think he does a good job of kind of showing that fact without stating it, Mm -hmm. you know, because you think like, oh man, as a prosecutor, what do you do? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, So yeah, it it actually ended up being, being interesting, even though it wasn't what I, what I thought it was Mm going to be about. It, It made me think of like, this is what the second season of Serial yeah. could and should be, where you take like a murder case, but then you don't make it about the murderer. You make it about issues surrounding the murder. Right. And, you know, with everything that's going on in, in uh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. you you do start seeing like issues with police and poverty and, you know, specifically African-American populations. Mm-hmm. It's systemic. And this is just another, like, kind of growth, disgusting growth. Yeah. And I don't know, man. It's, it's, so it's interesting. And, and I guess for me, it's interesting to have the conversation about, you know, what do you do in our legal system like this? Where is based on 12 people who are making their own judgments and assessments of witnesses and testimony? And it's like, when they come in with their own, you know, biases. Biases, yeah. How do you as a lawyer be like, okay, look, this next person, 
looks really messed up. Mm -hmm. And actually, they're still on drugs. They actually (laughs) might be high right now. But don't pay attention to that. Listen to what they're saying because it's true. Okay, let's let's bring them in. And that is just, a, it's not a series, it just is a one-off. It's a one-off. How long is it? It's an hour and 45 minutes. It's actually why I was a little late coming over mm-hmm. here. I wanted to, I started last night and thought I could get through, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. Yeah. Um, sounds like a real pick-me-up. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, the, the last thing that I'll say about it, <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, Slate, on their spoiler special podcast, mm-hmm. interviewed the documentarian who's the director i was gonna ask. Uh, see i knew you're gonna ask but it's me that not somebody like he's british he's, he's oscar before. nominated for oh, okay. like another documentary and basically he mentioned something in the spoiler special about a cameraman basically like leaving like after three days of shooting he just like quit quit was out because the neighborhoods were like they're interviewing a guy in Gunshots are going off like a few blocks mm-hmm. away. <clears throat> and after he said that, I realized one thing that stood out to me in this documentary is especially early on, there's a huge distance between <laughs> him and the cameraman a lot of times. He's walking around with like headphones and a huge boom mic, just holding it. Mm-hmm. He's like walking up to people and being like, do you know about the Grim Sleeper? <laughs> right. And the cameraman is literally like 30 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I bet that's the cameraman who was <laughs> too terrified to get close. Right. And I was like, this is such a weird shot. Why is the cameraman on the other side of the street? And he's walking up to a neighbor, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. What else have you watched? Um, I also watched a documentary called The Great Invisible. Uh-huh. And I, I record on PBS. They have some a documentary series. And I read an article where they're like, support this series because PBS is pushing it later and later because nobody's watching it. Mm -hmm. But then so I watched The Great Invisible on that. And literally, I open up Netflix later on that night and it's on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, okay. well, I mean, maybe this is the problem, right? (laughs) Like you either have to have an exclusive on this documentary, but you can't have it be available on Netflix. Who's going to who's going to watch the show? right? Right. So The Great Invisible is a documentary about the Deepwater Horizon. Um, oil spill mm-hmm. and it kind of looks at you know what happened um the effects and basically says bp is full of crap you know yeah. and saying like they've cleaned up the gulf and yeah i know you've seen those commercials mm-hmm. where there's like late she's like the beaches are open mm-hmm. that you know it's like but in reality they're like where they're they're like trying to go to court to get their um their responsibilities waived. <laughs> it's like yeah. because they haven't, because it's basically going to be impossible for them to clean it up. Right, right. Yeah. And it it really is, it kind of, I think it does a good job of showing the big picture of saying, okay, here's this event. BP, this is how BP responds to events like this. Mm-hmm. Initial show of money and promises with a slow, steady, you know, kind of removal and decline until, you know, no one's liable for anything. And the people who are screwed are, again, going back to um, the Grim Sleeper documentary, are people who are like... They can't take BP to court. They can't take BP to court. And, And one of the issues, and it's just brought up briefly, is like they don't want scrutiny put on their families. 
Because if you put, yeah, it's like, do you do meth and deal meth? Well, maybe. But, you know, were you also earning a living or partially earning a living off of what you caught in the Gulf Coast? Yeah. So, you know, you you do deserve that regardless right. of whether you're dealing meth on the side, yeah. you know? Or these people are like, you know, one of the guys who was in charge of giving out the settlement money, you know, he talked to, he brings up one guy who's like, we deal with handshakes here. You know, it's like, well, that's not proof. I can't deal with handshakes. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to give me your tax returns. Yeah. And the guy's probably like, where are taxes? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I actually ended up watching it twice. I watched it. Oh, really? Yeah. I watched it once on PBS, and then when I went up to New York, I watched oh, okay. it with, with Bill. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as with advocacy docs, it it overreaches a little bit, you know, like especially it has a, it has titles at the end, like script at the end. And, you know, it says like the U.S. does not have a um, comprehensive energy plan. It's like, OK, mm-hmm. but that, you know what I mean, like <laughs> maybe that's kind of related, but you didn't make a documentary about that. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's another issue. Yeah. To throw on top of this. Yeah. I just feel like saying, why can't you just make a documentary about the issue mm-hmm. that you're covering and then trust that I get it. I know I know what's happening, and I am horrified by it. But then you don't need to, like, overstretch and push certain ideas. And to me, that, that lessens a documentary's impact when at the end they, they show an agenda, you know, because they, mm-hmm. they are advocating, you mm-hmm. know. But at the same time, like, just advocate with a well-told story. And mm-hmm. I will walk away being like, BP sucks. And when I saw BP traveling, I did not stop and get their gas. Like, mm-hmm. not to say that other gas companies would have acted any different. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it will change the way that I think anyway. You yeah. Know, I need to yeah. Force it down my throat. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the last week. I said we would talk about the Verge summer movie guide. And today you texted me and said that Dissolve also um, released their May movie guide. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about from some of those as well, but from what I noticed on the dissolve one, I think it was just listing all of the movies that are coming out in May, May. which are, is a lot of movies and, and ranking their excitement for them. Right. Like, right. And, and then it's like an eight page article that goes in depth, like why you should be right. excited. What's the early word? What's our, yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with the verge summer movie guide. Um, and so the first the first movie on the list, which is coming out on Friday, I think, is the Avengers movie, Avengers 2. Yeah. Um, Age of Ultron. You saw the first one? Yep. You like, have you? I have not seen. See, I knew it. No, I haven't seen. I've seen. I haven't seen most of the comic book movies. So I, you know. I, I, I guess I understand the appeal of a comic book movie. Of just like a you know popcorn blockbuster movie, but there are just so many of them. You know what I mean? It just is like, let's take a break, right? Like let's let's step on the the brakes a little bit. We don't need twenty comic book movies in a year. I mean, how different can they be, right? They're all the same, and I have the same issue with comic book movies <laughs> <laughs> that you have with the documentary. Like, I feel like a lot of them are overreaching. And when it's like, 
we're not just this fun comic book romp. We're trying to like make analogies to the real world, which is what I was saying about Daredevil. Like, all right, I understand you're trying to say something about society. I guess that's admirable, but at the same time, like the solution cannot be like Thor shows up and beats everybody into the ground. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah. I mean. With that being said, I haven't seen any of right, the Avengers movies. Right. I haven't seen most of the comic book movies. Right. I kind of disagree with with your basic premise, but I mean, I will say, to me, when when people complain about comic book movies too as a whole, I just want to be like, no harm, no foul. Like it's not, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Like, is it not hurting anybody though? No. I will. I. It is my is my viewpoint that they are not hurting anybody. I think I could argue that it is. Well. I mean, I think it's hurting you personally. Yeah, <laughs> I think you could make that argument. But I think as a as a cultural whole, uh-huh. these things are making money because people want to see them. And then in the end, is what what would replace comic book movies? Great original content, you know, sure. wall to wall. Not wall no. to wall, but let's take away fifteen of the twenty comic book movies and. Replace those with yes, original content. Everything goes in cycles, though. If you if you look back to even before the um, the, the the comic book here, I mean, I would say honestly, one genre that really predated the comic book boom was torture porn. That caught on. You know, are we are we sad to see torture porn kind of run its run its course? Not me. I'm really glad that we've moved on and and. You know, those filmmakers are trying to get into the comic book uh, series as well, you know? Uh, I don't think that's entirely true. Prove it. I would say prove it. Prove what? What aspect? First of all, prove that comic book movies have replaced torture porn movies, which is, that's not... I mean, it's just kind of like a, it's, I feel like it's a false claim. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I feel like if you go back to Saw, right, the first Saw, which I think a lot of people will date this kind of torture porn starting with, you have a good film. Um, I think I wouldn't go that far. No, I would say, I would say it's a good film. All right. And then out of that, you launch, you know, all seven Saw films, you launch this huge reboot that we're we're still kind of seeing of all the gritty horror movies of the 70s. You know, Last yeah. House on the yeah. Left with um, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, in, in the lead role. And you have all these filmmakers and stars who put their efforts. When we were in college, right, what movies were we going to see where it's like, ooh, the, the, the remake of... Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. We all went together on a weekend to see that, right? Mm-hmm. That in Ebor City. In Ebor City, and that has now been replaced by it's another Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake by the comic book movie. I but would n- say no. I mean, you would say. I mean, there's no, but there's no way to prove that. Well, well, I and mean, those directors aren't making comic book movies. When we were in college, what was big was Lord of the Rings. What was big? What were what was big with you was Lord of the Rings. Okay, torture porn <laughs> movies. What what comic book movie did we watch or were people excited about and talking about when we were in college? Batman, I guess. 
When was the first Batman release? I have no idea. Because I feel like... Spider-Man? Batman, Spider-Man, yeah. And these are all launching the current sure. craze, right? But get, but that's two. No, but... That's two comic book movies. Hold on. I'm perfectly fine with two comic book movies a year. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is, is that, that the comic book craze took over. It, it basically... You know, I, I would say if you want to talk larger scale, maybe found footage films... Was, I would what, say what was, the comic book craze is unprecedented. Batman Begins, 2005. All right. We were out of college. I wasn't. <laughs> I know you weren't. So I, I'd been out of college by but then. Spider, the Spider-Man movies is when we were in college. Yeah, Spider-Man goes, goes back earlier. But that's my, that's my basic you know, premise, 2002, right? So you know, I would say when we were in college... Everyone was going out to see the new grossest iteration of horror that you could see. Hostel, you know, all these movies, um, Wolf Creek, um, and and you know, I would say larger than that. Found footage. I think found footage is still going on, right? So that that could be happening in place of even more in place of comic book movies, right? Like you have all these other tropes that you don't really like anyway. You know, I'm saying that some other evil dictator will fill the hole that superhero movies are are existing in right now. And you'd be complaining about that. Sure. So I'm arguing for no evil dictator. You're accepting compromise. No, I'm accepting reality. Re, re, that, that that's reality. Let's get right? out. Let's. I'm stunned. I'm, I already feel terrible talking about comic book movies this much. Yeah. Uh, the next movie on the list that I want to talk about is <laughs> Mad Max. I'm skipping yeah. over Pitch Perfect 2. You have any thoughts on Pitch Perfect 2? I like Pitch Perfect 1. Oh, you did? Yep. All right. Do you have any feelings you'd like to share for the sequel? Uh, Elizabeth Banks directed the se- sequel. I don't have a lot of hope. Yeah. All right. Mad Ma- Speaking of not a lot of hope, Mad Max. Now... You have you watched the trailers for the Mad Max movies? Yes. For the new Mad Max movie, looks awesome, right? I yes. think it looks awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to see this movie, but I am 99 percent sure it's going to be terrible. I'm almost already convinced myself that these this movie is going to be s- terribly bad. Well, that's what you do. Do you have this? But do you have the same feeling? Like, I feel like the trailers look awesome, but I feel like there's no way that this can make a good movie. You know what you have? You have cultural buyer's remorse. We've talked about this, <laughs> where if you pick something up when Best Buy used to be a thing, you walk into Best Buy, you need to be careful about picking up what you want to buy right away if you're going to look around. Because if you hold on to that thing for too long, you're not going to want it anymore, right? You have to make, you have to be strategic that when you pick up what you wanted to get in the first place, that you buy it within a five-minute window, or else you start feeling the weight of it, you're thinking about it again, you're seeing all the other things out there, and then you don't want it anymore. For you, if something grabs your attention too early, and you have to live with it for more than uh, two weeks, (laughs) I think then you start doubting it, you start doubting yourself, and then by week three, you hate it. I just don't think it's sustainable, and that's not and that's not true. That might be true, but it's not true in this case 
because <laughs> I had that feeling as soon as I watched the first trailer. I thought the trailer looked great, exactly. but I don't think that, like, it's, first of all, from what I gather from the trailer, it's a movie about all crazy people. I don't sure. really want to watch a movie about all crazy people necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, it doesn't, I just don't imagine that stretched out over the course of two hours to be like, I just don't think that makes a good movie. We'll see. You know, yeah. I'm definitely going to see it in theaters. Maybe we'll see it together, but I definitely want to see it. This is the other thing I want to talk about the trailer. The the trailer, you know, the one I watched, at least the only one I've seen it towards the end, it says from mastermind George Miller. Like, I think that's that's pushing stretching it, it a little bit. Like, yeah. if you go back and look at George Miller's filmography, babe. He, no, no, no. He directed the first three Mad Max movies. OK, which whatever. Only the second one's good. I haven't watched them in long enough time to really know. He directed Babe Two, not Which is good, not Babe One. Okay, fine, but he didn't do Babe One. No, he did. did Babe Two. He did okay. Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the Babe movies. I like them, but that's fine. But e- even though you like them, Babe Two is not exactly like a masterwork, right? I don't know. All right, get out of here. Uh, you haven't seen it. Okay, and he directed both of the Happy Feet movie. Yeah, like what? How was who? What mastermind is this? Mastermind George Miller from the director of Babe 2, from the director of Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. You know what I mean? Well, I think you get into the issue of what makes a mastermind, right? Like, what makes a good director? How many films do you have to be, how many great films do you have to make to be, you know, called like a great director? I'm Obviously, like, if you're George Miller, you don't have to make any. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to make one you and a half. You just call maybe? yourself that. One and a half. I don't know. I mean, he he created you know the whole story that Mad Max was based off. Of, sure, right. So that's I mean, fine. So that's why he's a mastermind. I mean, it, it's just what I think what we're being a little liberal with our titles <laughs> around here, Hollywood. Let's you know get it in order. All right. So, what would you like to see replace Mastermind before he moved director? On? From Maybe director. just his job title? <laughs> From son. Right. He doesn't even need to be there at all. How many people are watching that trailer, trailer and going, oh, George Miller, right? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Like the only people who would be watching that or and recognizing George Miller potentially is like maybe a 16-year-old who loved Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. <laughs> I think people our age who love Mad Max, you're missing that, that uh, population. I don't think so. It's been like forty years since he did the Mad Max movies. Forty years, I think your your mind. They is... came out in the seventies, right? No, when did they come out in the eighties? Yeah, that's, I want to say that's thirty years. Yeah, not forty. All right, that's not that big of a difference. Okay, here's a movie I know that you are probably excited for. Seventy nine. Okay, Mad thank Max you. One. Almost forty years. Uh, so Mad Max comes out on May fifteenth. Coming out on May 22nd, Tomorrowland. Yep. Letterboxd, summer 2015. <laughs> I ranked it. Um, Mad oh, Max. Oh, you have it ranked. Okay. Mad Max number one. That's the movie you're most excited for. In the summer. So you have no qualms about it being bad. No, I mean, 
I'm looking at what what else right. is is there to rival Mad Max. I'm just a little worried. That's all I'm saying. I'm a little worried well, that I, it's going to be bad. You have cultural buyer's remorse. You're, right. Of course you're going to be worried. Right. You watched the trailer too okay. soon. Okay, so Tomorrowland. You have to watch the trailer on the way for to go see the movie mm-hmm. for it to actually work for you. Mm-hmm. Tomorrowland, number two. Okay, so why is that your number two? Uh, I think mainly because of Brad Bird. Mm-hmm. We disagree on... I I like films because of directors mainly. You don't I like, like films, films period. because of films. No, nope, you I like a film if it's good. I don't care who directed it. I think we have uh, about a year's worth of shows proving that you actually do not like film. Period. Um, no, but I like I like directors. So I'd say number one, Brad Bird. Sure. And I would say you know he. I think that there's a there's something to be said about somebody you can work within a system, right? So there are some people who see Disney financing a film being immediately like compromised project, not interested. Mm. And Tomorrowland is financed by Disney. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Because, you know, you have to ultimately answer to the institution, right? right? Is the institution going to let you be like, okay, in this scene, the guy gets decapitated and, you know, they're like, oh no, you know, but I think Brad Bird can work within a system Mm -hmm. and, still be visionary and interesting within those limitations. So I think he works well within a system. Mm. And there are a lot of directors like um, the guy who did John Carter coming from Pixar, who John Carter was a mess. And I think it's because he didn't know how to work within the system that was given to him. And he had way too big a budget. Mm -hmm. I think Brad Bird knows what to do with it. So, um, I mean, I'm interested just to see what he does with this story. And I found the trailer to be interesting. What is interesting to you about the trailer? Honestly, I can say the visual of her touching the pin. Because you watch the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And she's flashed to this other world. Mm-hmm. And then she drops it and she's back. Just that I find is like, that is a really interesting visual that I haven't seen before. And if Brad Bird can just deliver on that, I know I'm going to get, and it, like for me, Interstellar works because the visuals. For you, Interstellar doesn't work because it doesn't have a story that you know you can really connect with. Tomorrowland, I'm not expecting to get the greatest story. I'm expecting to get some pretty interesting visuals. So I'll go see it. Summer blockbuster, right? Yeah, but I think that's the other thing about, also about comic book movies is... How interesting can the visuals be when they're 99% fake? And I think that's one of the things that makes the Mad Max trailer so appealing is that you're watching real people do real things for the most part in real vehicles. Whereas Tomorrowland, outside of the two featured actors, I would say 99% of that trailer is fake CGI backgrounds. Like, that is not interesting to me whatsoever. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, imagine watching an Avengers movie and imagine uh, and, and while you're watching it, try to figure out what is real and what it's like the the uh, bat. It's like the uh, behind the scenes photos from 300. Right. It's like just a bunch of guys in capes screen. on big green rocks. And like, that's it. 
It's like, why is that now? Why is that interesting for me to watch? Like this is, this is, this is, I, when I was looking at the dissolves summer movie list, I noticed this comment. So this comment is from the dissolve and it summed up pretty much exactly how I felt about Tomorrowland. He says, Tomorrowland's mystery, quote unquote, is that the fact is the fact that I have no idea what it's about means I'm actually struggling to care. I should trust Brad Bird, but nothing I've seen has particularly excited me. And that's kind of how I feel, too. Like I have. And maybe that's a good thing with the trailer. I have no idea what the movie's about. But at the same time, like I also don't have enough know enough to actually interest me in the movie and the yeah. visuals don't do it for me because yeah. not only do I know they're fake, they look really fake. Well, I would say one of my least anticipated films, which is at the end of the verges coverage uh-huh. is the new Hitman film watching yeah. the trailer on that. That's fake. Yeah. That is fake. Like everything about that film looks fake. The action scenes look fake. The, bullets shot look cgi fake right it it looks terrible to me and the reason why i think it looks so terrible is because how fake it looks tomorrowland again i'm going to make the distinction between you know the the fakeness and kind of artificial right where i i'm glad that people like brad bird are out there making spectacles you know where, yeah, a lot of it it's is green screen and whatever. But that's what I'm saying. That no, to me, that no longer makes it a spectacle. What a, a spectacle is actually something actually happening. Of you is you actually doing something. Like a spectacle is not created inside of a computer, right? That's not a I mean, spectacle. Yes, it can be. No. It, it, can it not be? I mean, I don't. I don't think that's the. I so, think, so, so you're you're falling in the camp of like, video games aren't art. I'm no. I'm not saying that. Like, like Roger Ebert's like dismissive of video games because everything looks. No, I'm not dismissing. Fake. I'm just saying I don't. To me, that does not uh, engender a feeling of amazement. Okay. But again, like you can feel that way about it, but that doesn't mean that there is not spectacle for other people, right? Sure. But, or, well, or, well, no, of course, but I'm presenting my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is the problem. Sure. Not not the objective okay. reality. Like Anyways, me. this is the other issue I have with the movie. When I think of a disheveled you do not lunatic think of- living in a shack by himself... I don't think of arguably the most handsome man in the world, George Clooney, right? I feel like that is, look, I haven't seen the movie, of course. Right. But like, he just feels so out of place. Just in the trailer, he feels out of place. <laughs> I mean, I'll, 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 that's a gimme because we haven't seen the, seen the movie. But again, I feel like, you know, for me too, I can understand that maybe Tomorrowland isn't meant for the 30, you know, three year old jaded uh redhead mm-hmm. um maybe it's meant for you know whoever the 16 year old kid who still has a little bit of spark of life left in his eyes and will be amazed by it and can i get on that wavelength or can i not to me based on what i've seen i'm at least willing to give Tomorrowland a shot I, well, i'm I, willing to give it a shot i'm just you know will, will i go out and see, like it says something too though 
that if I don't see it in theaters, I'm not going to be heartbroken. And it's my second mm-hmm. most interested, interesting film of the summer right. for, you know, for me. Okay. Tomorrowland. Uh, also coming on on May 22nd. Poltergeist. All the way down at number 10. I think this looks good. I think I'm really excited for Poltergeist. I mean, really yeah. excited. I don't know about really excited. It's directed by Gil Kennan. Directed Monster House. Monster House was great. Monster House is great. I, I actually mm-hmm. did not know Gil Kennan made And Monster produced House. by Sam Raimi. Yeah. I, I mean, Sam Raimi's produced some crap, but. Sure, but he's also done great things. Directed. Okay. <laughs> um, no, wow. Poltergeist is now is now way up there. Yeah. Knockout Tomorrowland, maybe? Yeah. Poltergeist I'm excited for. Uh come coming in and what can I only assume is number three on your most anticipated list. San Andreas. Oof. San Andreas, number 25 of 30. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about this movie. I was just surprised that it's not directed by Roland Emmerich, yeah. which I just assumed. But then right. when I did looked it up for this list, it's directed by some guy, no name, who knows. Uh, and, and for films like San Andreas, I just want to be like, for, for anyone who's excited about that film, what lies do you have to tell yourself? You know, to get excited about another like disaster film with the rock or somebody like the rock in it. You know, you've seen it before. Roland Emmerich's made it eight times before. Yeah. You know, but I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it's presenting the same spectacle that Tomorrowland is presenting, which is a fake CGI world. It's not. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Uh, Spy looks terrible. Entourage. Do you have anything to say about Entourage? I never watched the series. Not interesting. Entourage, number 30 of 30. Really? Just because it had to just because you had to have 30 movies, right? Well, yeah, I basically took what I saw in the Dissolve for May and then The Verge. Oh, I see. Which look, the problem I have with sites like The Verge's summer movie preview, what are they going off of again? Because you look through and you're like, there are way more interesting films. Like if you look at the Dissolve. There are way more interesting films I'm way more excited about, you know? So, yeah, I think the Verge's list was just like, these are going to be the biggest movies of the summer, basically. Well, whereas the the Dissolves list is just, here's every movie that's coming out this summer. Yeah. With far more interesting films. Sure. So yeah, Entourage, that film looks like a complete and utter nightmare and so kind of masturbatory, Mm -hmm. you know, with. I can't, I can't, I, I'm, I'm getting a migraine thinking about the different <laughs> celebrities that I saw in mm-hmm. like the one trailer mm-hmm. and what they probably felt like about their cameo. Like I can, you know, I can just imagine a few of them being like doing their scene, being like nailed it. Right. Let's go get some lunch. You know, well, they had a like, great oh, bit yeah. on the best show where they're talking about how none of them get out of their cars. They all just drive up to drive the set <laughs> and then say their line and leave. <laughs> That's probably true. And, dude, honestly, did any joke land in that trailer they watched? Was there even one that was, that was close? I don't know. I, like I said, I never watched Entourage. It's not my oh thing. My so I may have watched the trailer just out of complete boredom, but I don't remember anything about it. 
Uh, Insidious Chapter Three looks terrible, but I insidious. did Insidious Insidious Chapter Three. But I did want to say I feel like this is where torture porn movies have evolved to. Are these like weird demonic movies, right? Mm-hmm. But and what I and I I feel like it follows is such a good counterpoint to these movies because. The premise itself is scary. I feel like the premise of It Follows is a scary premise. Whereas the premise of these, there kind of is no premise to these movies like Insidious. It just is, here's some sort of demonic thing and they can literally do anything. We're just making everything up to scare you. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're just making up what we think is going to be the scariest thing in the scariest moment to scare you. But it's not... There's no like through line to it. Whereas I feel like it follows one of the reasons it was so creepy to me is because it's kind of so consistent and because it has the premise that is just like, it's a kind of a scary premise. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, and again, I think, I think you're right that people have moved into this, um, kind of the ring inspired horror, right. You know, genre, but it's all, derivative and yeah i watched the first insidious and wasn't too taken by it but uh jurassic world where's that on your list oh man jurassic world is actually um (laughs) jurassic world is number 14 Mm -hmm. so it's about midway down because if I'm honest with myself, and look, I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic will, Park is great. Jurassic Park is one of the the best the movie going experiences. It's one of the best movies. And going back to what you said, it does balance the spectacle because they did practical dinosaurs, which I would put up against the dinosaurs I saw Absolutely. in this freaking trailer. Yeah. Which again, this is where I feel like you have to understand the scale. Tomorrowland, I don't know, but to me, it feels like a director had a vision and they're executing it in a way that's interesting. So even if the world is CGI, I feel like it has a personality. When you go into Jurassic World and you have to have like all these dinosaurs and you think, okay, we are going to put this in the real world and 80% of the creatures in it are going to be CGI, that's too that's too much. It's too much for our technology to handle. So when you have Chris um I forget his name. Pratt. Pratt riding on a motorcycle with a bunch of raptors running next to him, you just think all of that looks all of that looks fake. Even the real trees, if they are probably not, you know? It just all looks artificial. It looks terrible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I'm afraid that we've lost forever Jurassic Park. Well, look, way of making films. Jurassic Jurassic World looks horrible, first of all, from the trailers. But the problem, the 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 thing that I think Jurassic Park did the best that not a lot of people seem to talk about is they made this absolutely insane impossible premise of cloning dinosaurs seem possible seem realistic right and maybe it's because 
the premise was introduced to me when I was like, what, 14 years old that I still think it's kind of realistic. Right. But it seems realistic in the movie. A mosquito, cotton sap. Yeah. Right. But the and and the the problem with that is to make a sequel like you have to one up the original in some way right it's a sequel but it's kind of like you can't really go up from <laughs> once, that premise once you do dinosaurs <laughs> right. dinosaurs are there yeah. yeah yeah so anything i think above that is just going to seem ridiculous what if this and is so spaceship? this movie seems ridiculous yeah and this is something else. I haven't seen Chris Pratt in anything. I don't watch Parks and Rec. I haven't seen any of his other movies. From what I've seen in this trailer and the clip that The Verge links to, which I'll talk about in a second, he stinks. <laughs> He's not a good actor, at least not in this movie. Okay. Like, I don't get his appeal at all. And I just saw him on Jimmy Fallon the other night. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get it. I don't. He doesn't seem like. I don't get like he doesn't like. I, f- I feel like it's a little bit mob mentality with him. Yeah, where he's just he's so pervasive that people have convinced themselves he's he's great when he's good. And look, Parks and Rec, he is really good on Parks and Rec. Mm. I, I will a hundred percent give him that. But I do have a problem when you when you start throwing franchises at somebody. I think that you just have diminishing returns. You know where. You know, I don't know his personality based on the films that he's doing because he's kind of playing the same personality. Like, mm-hmm. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and I hope that he's different. But based on the trailer, he looks roughly like he's the same character, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And in the write-up for this, the writer of The Verge, he says, but the tra- the trailers have failed to set the world on fire, and after a recent clip showed off some rather antiquated gender politics on behalf of Chris Pratt's character, we're not feeling as bullish as we once were. So antiquated gender politics is linked to the recent clip they're talking about. Have you watched the clip? Nope. So I watched the clip, and it's literally just a clip of him flirting with... Uh, a female dinosaur. Ron Howard's daughter's character. I can't think of her name. And he's just flirting with her. And he makes like a couple of kind of dirty jokes. And I'm like, and I'm watching it and I'm thinking like, is that, does that qualify for antiquated gender politics? Like, are you not allowed to flirt with people anymore? It seems so ridiculous that people are making a thing out of this. Well, I, I didn't see the clip, but is it, more ridiculous that they would release a clip called about Jurassic World. Sure. Where he's flirting with a with a human character. Right. And she's and like and not only that, it's not even like she's just like getting down to business and he's being this knucklehead. Like, I guess they were in a relationship relationship before and all this stuff that he mentions in the thing. And just like, I don't know, it just seemed a little bit like uh trying to it's it, you know it's it's fake internet outrage is what it is and it just is like you know let's talk about jurassic world because it looks terrible not you know you don't have to make right. up things it just looks bad and, th- and that's by colin trevorrow the the director who did safety not guaranteed which right. i really like i didn't see it well get ready for a recommendation <laughs> one of these days uh inside out a pixar movie about the emotional voices in a little girl's head. 
Not voices. The emotions. Yeah. Oh, well, not whatever. They're, they're voiced. Voice. Yeah, her emotions are voiced. That's different. Uh, number six. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Well, yeah. I'm not really excited, but you were you were talking to me about a game that a guy is releasing who... I can't remember the story about it now, but something about his son. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's called... Um, that dragon cancer. Right. That's right. And you were talking about how, because you have a son, it just seemed like one of those things where you really wanted to play it or experience it, but you didn't know if you would be able to. Oh, man. Just because of the content, right? Oh, yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about Inside Out. Like, I'm really happy to see a movie where, like, a little girl's the lead. Right. And it's exploring this, like like the emotional turmoil they can go through at those ages. But at the same time, like the trailer itself makes me a little emotional. So I don't know if I could, am going to be able to actually watch the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm, so that's how I feel about it. You can, you can definitely go some interesting places with that. I think some people were having problems with the basic premise, but in the hands of Pixar, I trust that they know how to make it emotional And you can really, you really can do some stuff with that. So, I'm I'm trusting them, um, and I I have to admit that yeah, the trailer worked for me too. Yeah, uh, Ted two, oh number twenty. It's on. Seven. It's even on your list. No, I did every. I did everything. Oh, I did, you did entre- everything. Everything from dissolve and everything from Verge. I would have, which is a total of thirty. Refused. I would have broken the rule for that one movie and made yeah. a list of twenty nine. Did I did I, t- did I tell you that I watched a million ways to die in the West? Yeah. Uh huh. Didn't you watch? You watched Ted, right? You watched the first. I watched Ted. the first Ted. Yeah. The only reason why it's twenty seven is because the CG of the bear was good. <laughs> okay. Uh, Terminator Genesis. Have you now? There's been a lot of people who've been upset because the trailers have revealed a lot. Have you been watching the trailers? I haven't been watching the trailers because I really don't care. Yeah, this movie is going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. I don't understand. Like the second Terminator movie, Terminator T two, is a classic. Great, great, awesome movie. Every other Terminator movie stinks. You know why? And they're going to stink for the rest of time. <laughs> you know why? Well, number one, James Cameron. I think right. I saw to do it. But but you know what else? It's because. They had a personality and they were they knew what they were doing and they weren't so freaking serious about Mm -hmm. the universe with everything. T2 ends with a thumbs up. It's (laughs) going into (laughs) molten lava. It's awesome. It's great. Right. But ever since then, it's, you know, Christian Bale freaking out on set because it's so emotional and, you know, whatever else. It's like have some personality and have some fun with it again. Yeah. Um, Magic Mike, XXL. Yep, don't care. Uh, that's actually um, it's higher than Terminator. Uh-huh. Uh, Minions don't care. Selfless don't care. Oh, you don't wait, wait, wait. Selfless, let's go back. Okay. Selfless. So Self first of all, slash less. Exactly. First of all, it's um directed by Tarsum. Now, oh, the guy that did the cell. Yeah. Uh huh. The guy Didn't who, he do something else? The Fall. The Fall. He also did Mirror Mirror. Oh, I don't know what that is. And he also did like a 300 knockoff. Oh, okay. um, 
film. Right. Um, I feel like visually I remember being in college when the cell came out and being fascinated. We saw it. That was one of the first things we did in college. Us and Marco and yeah. I think Mike maybe. And I got migraine. Yeah. And, you and I sick. threw up in the yeah. Um, bathroom. Yeah. Um, I've always loved his visuals and I think his storytelling uh, is a little needs some needs some work. I do like the fall though. Uh-huh. So selfless is actually like he he's a great visual stylist. Great. He needs somebody to come in and write a story for him. I don't know if this is it. This movie's going to stink. Based on what? Period. Based on he stinks as a director. This is this see, this is the this is where we get into issues. Because you give people too much credit as directors. And I look at the films as individual films. Even out of the movies you name, how many movies did you name F- that he did? Five? Four? Sure. One of them was good. So that's either, he's either at 20 or 25%. But he's shown in all of them abilities as a visual director that, that he could put together. He's somebody who, it's like, you, you like basketball. It's like watching a basketball player that has skills enough. You're like, he could put it together. One of but these, you know he's not going to. You know that. Right. That's the problem. Exactly. That's the problem. You like, know they're not going to. This movie, no one else does. This, the premise of this movie, this, okay, this is, the, this is the elevator pitch of this movie. A serious being John Malkovich directed by Tarsim. Yeah, no thanks. It sounds terrible. This movie is going to stink. I guarantee it. That was your elevator pitch. Where where am I wrong? What part of that pitch is wrong? I don't know. Okay. Thank you. All it's, of it? It's right. No, it's it's all right. All of it is right. Uh train wreck. I, I will I will I know that we didn't even talk about doing this. I'll I'll put it on like selfless is gonna be a good okay. it's gonna be good. Sure. We'll do an episode about it. Out of out of all the films of the summer. Okay. Let's talk about selfless. Sure. Okay. Is this good? Do you want to do another uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull style bet? Uh, wait, no, wait, because wait, you wait, lost that one too. Didn't we'll, you? We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. <laughs> okay. Selfless. All right. Yeah, I'm calling selfless. I'm making that okay. as a as a show priority. All right. Okay. Train wreck. You know, you know what got me about train wreck? It's it's a low on my list too. In the trailer. You know, it, it, for me, it comes down to one scene. In a trailer, apparently she, like, hooks up with a nice guy, and he calls her the next day. Do mm-hmm. you remember that scene? Mm-hmm. And she's like, she answers it, and she's like, what do I do? Like, And I was like, so we're living in a universe where this girl is so kind of, she's such a train wreck or whatever, that a guy calling her after sleeping with her, she literally does not know what to do. Like, I was like, where's the joke in that? Like... Am I really supposed to be like, oh my gosh, she's so messed up, right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's just like that's in some alternate universe where somebody doesn't even know what to say to somebody who calls them the next day after yeah. having sex. I was just like, that totally took me out. I was like, that's the jokes and LeBron James. Well, look, and that that scene is the one scene in the trailer for me that doesn't work, and it does. It is totally like, what is the joke here? Like, right. there's her, not, her a, friends, like, He's there is not a person on earth that in their, in the wildest extension is going to think that way. 
Exactly. And I'm not a huge fan of Amy Schumer, but I am interested. I do want to... I'm not going to see it in theaters, but when it comes on Netflix, hopefully, I'll watch it. I think it looks interesting. I think maybe for Judd Apatow more than anything, because I think for the most part, at least for me, his movies have had something that makes me want to watch them. Although I didn't watch his last movie. Funny People. This is this 40. This is 40. Oh, my gosh. I heard funny People terrible. and This is 40 are... And Funny People's not good either. No, they're terrible. Yeah. Um, But, and I know you don't like the LeBron James stuff. I it's know. It's grown on me. I know. It's, it's <laughs> I do here. like it. I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't right. think it's like... I don't know. I just think it's funny. Uh, th- honestly, I it made me hope that we saw all his scenes in the trailer. I hope he's not. Yeah, in I hope as he's much. not a huge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If he, if agree he keeps that. popping up every third scene to be like, listen, man. Yeah. Let's talk about either Downton Abbey or let's talk about your relationship right. life. I'm going to be like, oh. well, yeah. And even that being in the, t- it's like you've already ruined the joke. The joke is that it's LeBron James, right? Yeah. The joke, like the stuff that he's saying isn't funny. Yeah. The joke is that it's LeBron James saying it. I would have, you know, I would have loved, I would have loved that the marketing went like super old school on it uh-huh. and they like, show i even forget who the main lead is whatever where he's like working on his desk and bill hader james comes in yeah mm-hmm. and they like freeze frame and they block out the entire person <laughs> like in texas like you won't believe who's behind this you know yeah. what i mean like just yeah. like really play it up like who's the mystery guy yeah. you know i should be in marketing <laughs> sure <laughs> uh ant-man we talked about a little bit on the last episode in the trailer, the gun doesn't recoil in a real way. Ant-Man jumping up the barrel would have been flown. <laughs> he would have been thrown way past the guy who, who actually shot the gun. Uh, I, I did like the Thomas the Train yeah, reference. That yeah. was. I hope there's That's, more of that. That was funny. And I hope there's way less of him being like, the name's not my choice. Right. The name's not right. my choice. The na- he says it like four times in the in the trailer. Uh, Pixels, which looks absolutely insane. Did you hear about the um, Native American actors? Oh, rocking, yes, I did. The, I did. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I'll put my cards on the table and say not interested. I'm surprised. Do you have any other cards? No. Nope. That's the thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I have one card and it says not interested. And, you're, <laughs> and you played a lot. Number five. And number prom, five? Number five. Oh and, 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 the, and the problem I You have, know, this one isn't directed by Brad Bird, oh right? gosh. Yes, I know. And, and, that's, and that's the problem is Christopher McQuarrie, who did uh, Jack Reacher, which is terrible. Jack okay. Reacher. It has a great opening five minutes. Uh-huh. Great opening five minutes. But- no, I watched the trailer. I see Tom Cruise holding onto the side of a plane as it takes off. I'm in. Who cares? You know what happens in Mission Possible 2? Two motorcycles like jump at each do other ballet. and do karate. And guess what? That movie's terrible. Well. So like, but I will say that one scene more spectacle than all of the Tomorrowland trailer. You know why? Because uh, Tom Cruise is actually doing something. Exactly. So I and I like watching Tom Cruise actually do something. You were also somebody who was not excited about Edge of Tomorrow. Who? Okay. Well, who was? Uh, Nobody was. No, you weren't. 
you were not excited about Edge of Tomorrow from watching the trailer of Edge of, Edge of Tomorrow. Nobody was, which is part of the appeal of that movie, is it turned out to be great despite the terrible name and despite the trailer and marketing. I'm just glad we have that recording. Okay. <laughs> uh, Fantastic Four. Another comic book movie. Big surprise. Number seven. Um, number seven? What is wrong with you? Okay, you rank these. I'm not. I'm not. Fantastic even... Four is not on my list. Ted is not on my list. No, I don't. My, I did the whole list. I know. I'm just saying. That's that's why I can't do that because I would have ended up leaving so many things off my list exactly. that I would have just not done it because there's no point in making a list because I just would leave everything off. Um, I thought <laughs> exactly. Fantastic Four was about adults. First of all. Right? This movie's about kids. Oh, yeah. Mr. Incredible. Right. Um, so I wrote down some alternative names for oh, the movie. Here we go. Yeah. You ready? Uh, the Fantastic 14-year-olds. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Prepubescent Four. I hope there's four of these. <laughs> there are four. Oh, good. Two more. Uh, four years until I get my driver's permit. All right, last one. The Fantastic Four hairs growing out of my chin. <laughs> I like that one. All right. Uh, straight out of Compton. We talked about this a little bit off air. Yeah. Not really interested. I, these type of movies, I would rather just Make watch a documentary. A documentary. Yeah. Make a documentary. That's yeah. that's my feeling, too. Especially if you're F. Gary Gray. Oh, is that who's directing it? He did The Negotiator, though. Right? Everyone gets one. <laughs> Everyone has I one. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, but I remember loving that movie. Oh, when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. So, so, so do I. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else to say about these last two movies, but I imagine you have some feelings about The Man from Uncle because it's directed by Guy Ritchie. I love Guy Ritchie. You still love Guy Ritchie? I still love Guy Ritchie. All right. So, what do you think about The Man from Uncle? Um, I honestly think Kingsman is going to be the better film. And I think it's sad that it looks like two period esque stylish. Kind What's of, the connection? Is that just the connection? The stylish, the style? Yeah. Well, in Matthew Vaughn, they're not based off the same property, are they? No, 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 no. And, and Matthew Vaughn used to like be like second unit director for Guy Ritchie. Oh, right. He used to like work with Guy Ritchie. Yeah. And you can you can totally see that their styles you know, coincide, but they do kind of feel like they're cut from the same cloth, right? They're both kind of period obsessed and they're kind of action films. And I just feel like the Kingsman is this year's edge of tomorrow. Like I was not expecting it to be as fun as it is and as well-made as it is. Mm -hmm. And then when you know, man from uncle, I just feel like that's going to feel like, yeah, Kingsman did that better. You know, yeah, they should have waited a few years. Yeah, so that that that's my fear from that. But I think uh, Guy Ritchie has the visual style and panache again to pull off a visual. So all you need is a good story. All you need is an interesting story, and you got to. That's know. that's a that's a big order, though. I mean, you can say all you need is a good story, but a good story is hard to come by. Exactly, exactly, which is why it's so rare to have a great film. You know, because it's hard to have a good story. Mm-hmm. But 
every film he comes out, I keep thinking in my head, like Tarsum, is this the good story that they stumble upon, right? Mm-hmm. With all their millions of dollars, with all their years to work on this, with all the films that they made in the past where hopefully they're learning something from, is this where they put it together? Mm-hmm. That's my eternal optimism. You're already rethinking Selfless, aren't you? No. In two weeks, you're going to be on the show trying to weasel out of the Selfless. Bit. Nope. All right. Uh, last movie, Hitman Agent 47. I'm uh, See, and this is, my, this is the problem with the list. Every single time I see one of these movies, like Hitman Agent 47, uh, Pixels, I think that's got to be the last movie on your list, right? But you already said what the last movie on your list. How is anything, first of all, how is anything on your list above or how's anything on your list below Pixels? Entourage. It goes pixels that literally just had (laughs) a race of people walk off set because they were so no, 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 not, not, not pixels. (laughs) It had the new Adam Sandler for, for, for Netflix. But I'm saying, Oh, that's right. You can see, you can see why people would be walking off of a set and watch the trail for pixels. Okay. So the new Hitman movie looks terrible. Of course, third from the last Hitman's never Hitman is barely even a good game. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. So, can I run through the ones really quickly on the dissolve? Sure. Just get yeah, your, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Ra- rapid fire. Yeah, go for it. Um, just above Ted Two, the remake of Vacation, starring Ed Helms. Uh, no thanks. Terrible. Yeah. Um, Aloha, the new Cameron Crowe film. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, Looks no like thanks. Elizabeth Town Two. Not interested. Hey, there's my not interested card. <laughs> Ethan Hawke in Andrew Nichols, who made Gattaca in his film Good Kill about a drone strike operator. Uh, I think it looks terrible. Yeah, sounds kind of boring. Um, then we have uh, D Train with oh Jack Black. Jack Black. He hasn't been anything for a long time. Well, no, I guess he was just in... Uh, what was that uh, Richard Linklater movie? Bernie. Bernie. Bernie's good. Yeah, Bernie was good. And James Marsden. Um, I'm working up from my bottom up. Okay. So we're getting. I'm getting more interested okay. as these go along. Far from the matting crowd. That's a period piece. You're not interested. Yeah. No thanks. What period? Um, bedtime. 18. <laughs> yeah, the bedtime period. <laughs> Um, last one, and this is just from May. So, you know, this isn't all the films coming out in the summer that I'm interested right. in, but, um, Maggie. She wrote that. Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, in, a yeah. zombie, mm-hmm. in a zombie movie. No, thanks. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a good actor. No, he's not. Okay. Interested to see what he does, though, in a zombie film. talk a little bit about what I've been reading this past week, but it has to do with the Baltimore stuff. 
and I kind of don't want to go into the Baltimore stuff. Dude, I when you asked me before the show what I've been reading, it was the Baltimore stuff, and I left it off because I was like, I don't think we really want to get into the Baltimore stuff. Yeah. So I just wanted to very quickly, maybe we can table it for a later episode because it's obviously not ending anytime soon. Um, but David Simon released a very short I read blog that. post that was interesting. But the most interesting part to me was uh, in the comments where he starts getting in arguments with all the racists that oh, apparently read his blog. He he will he will get in yeah. into fights on his blog, which yeah. I find yeah I find fascinating. And then uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates released... A, On the Atlantic, yeah. Right. A counterpoint, not to that blog specifically, but kind of to the perspective right? Um, that is also very good. That's called Nonviolence as Compliance. And uh, I would just recommend those two things. Th- well, that's what I've been reading. And, and the only thing that I want to say about it is why cannot, in, in some ways, I think this is up for further discussion. But why why can't both be true? Like I'm tired right. of people sitting there and being like, it's one or the other and blah, blah, right. blah. And it's like, no, yeah, both and, right? Like right. there are a lot of people out there. And there are a lot of people who are reacting different ways to this. There's not just one way of responding and reacting. I think both have valid points. And it's not about competing against right. those, which a lot of people are making it. You're either, you know, on the Tanahasi Coates article or you're on david david simon's right. you know and i'm like uh no you can blend those i think right yeah um but yeah it just is a it's a terrible situation and it's one of those it's happening so much and i don't know what to think about it so i've been trying to read as much as possible and listen as much as possible which i think is another problem is that everyone is so eager to just jump to sides and jump to conclusions yeah. uh you know and i ha- of course have sort of an, an initial reaction to it but i know that that's not going to be the most informed or whatever but i'm uh that's what i've been reading i don't want to get into it too much because i just spent 45 minutes yelling about comic book movies. um, But I will say that I am very, the one thing I am glad about is that I'm not on Facebook during this because I'm pretty sure it would be driving me crazy. Yeah. It's funny to go on Facebook and see what people post and be like, Oh, there's, there's the validation of your point and perspective. Just sharing this, you know, for no reason. Now you're, you're letting us all know what you think. Right. So did you um, finish The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, or you're still playing it? Okay. I finished it up in New York, and it's one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, really? I feel embarrassed I call it The Disappearance. (laughs) It is The Vanishing. And I I really wish you could play this. Mm -hmm. To me, it feels like True Detective, you know, season two, Mm -hmm. like what, what my vision could be for it, you know? And it just takes some really interesting turns. They really go for it. And I realized this is what gets me interested about gaming is what you can do with the stories when you're not And It's, it's kind of like what we were talking about with um, the Southern Reach trilogy. We were saying like, well, I asked, do you think it would work better as a graphic novel? Because I feel like in graphic novel, you can push boundaries a lot 
further mm-hmm. because you're using images to to tell the story as well than just trying to paint this picture and people being like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And with this game, I realized like they realized like our canvas is way bigger than just like, where's this boy? It's weird stuff is going on. Mm -hmm. And the gameplay mechanics are really interesting and fun and easy enough where you're not getting hung up on too much and kind of breeze right through it. And the story is great. And it really takes some, take some turns that I, I got really excited about. Mm-hmm. So I highly, highly, highly recommend The Vanishing of Ethan Carter and feel like I want you to borrow my computer. For, <laughs> just to play it. Just to play it for a few weeks. Just to, just to play it. Yeah. Um, what that made me think of for some reason is the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. And I feel like that that's not like a thousand words isn't a, lot of words like thinking about how um the author of the southern reach trilogy tries to describe the creature in that book and how after three books i still have no idea what it looks like right whereas like you're saying if it was a graphic novel i could look at literally one square Panel. panel or an entire page and know what it looks like I feel like I feel like a picture is worth a thousand words would only be accurate if your language had like 1500 words. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a thousand words isn't a I don't feel like that's a lot. We need to up it. Yeah. I don't know I don't know where the origin of that was, but maybe they didn't have a lot of words at the time. Yeah. So, before we talk about music because I know you had um some music you wanted to talk about. And I have some music I want to talk about, but I've also listen to the uh upvoted podcast about the double dick dude yep i recommend that, that, to that you. you recommended to me and the the interview itself was fine it didn't really reveal anything to me that i didn't get from the ama that he did i didn't read the ama yeah so i read that i guess it was like over it was in january of 2014 is when i read it and it was just like I can't even remember how I found it, but it was just, I was probably just on the front page of Reddit and it was on there because it was so popular. But this is the, the one thing I did notice is that this podcast upvoted is ran by, um, Alexis. Oh, Hanahan. Maybe his name is something like that, but he's the co-founder of Reddit, right? He's a multimillionaire angel investor and his podcast, first of all, sounds like garbage, right? <laughs> it sounds like he's speaking into tin cans. And second of all, it's like he's trying to make another million just off of podcast ads. There's like an advertisement in this podcast every five minutes. That's interesting. It was insane the amount of ads he had in that podcast. I just hmm. feel like. Listen, guy, like you've got a million, you've got millions of dollars, like fund your own pony up some money. Yeah. Get out of here. Like that's, you know what you want to do ads, do one at the beginning of the episode and one at the end or do one at the beginning and one in the middle, but don't do like one at the beginning one. It's like, you know, today we're interviewing double dick dude. But before that, Here's a let's talk about Harry's, right? Latinos. I love I love shaving, blah blah blah. 
and now to our interview with uh, Double Dick Dude. So what was life like? And before his answer, let me tell you about Nature Box. Just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, there's got to be money coming from somewhere where you don't have to do this. Right. And to me, worse than the ads is the, I just thought his recording sounded horrible. Just as like, rent a space once a week. Like, do something. Maybe maybe I'm just being overly critical, but those are the two things that stood out to me about that podcast. But what I've been listening to, and this is another thing I realized, I don't have much to say about music, right? Like, I just like to listen to music that I think sounds good, but it doesn't really do anything for me outside of, like, the enjoyment of just listening to it. You know what I mean? For the most part, I don't, like, connect to it on some kind of level right yeah i feel like there there's a handful of artists that have done that for me but it doesn't it happens very rarely neither of these artists have but i really enjoy their album so far so american wrestlers uh-huh which i talked about a while ago i've been listening to that album it's great yeah i love it you've listened to it yep you like it yep American Wrestlers, the album is American Wrestlers, super good. Another band I've been listening to is a band called Sheer Mag. Have you listened to them? No. Even better. Really? Yep. Can't stop listening to it. Huh. Um, And it's just, they've released two EPs, and their newest one just came out. It's just four songs, and it just is like lo-fi, poppy, rock stuff. Okay. Riff rock. Like poppy riff, like seventies ish. It's super good, okay. really good. I love it. Huh. That's what I've been listening to. All right. It's if I'm if I if I may uh, if I if I may say so myself. They're like a good version of the Alabama Shakes. Uh. <laughs> All right. So now you want to transition to <laughs> right. what I'm listening to? Yeah. What are you listening to? <clears throat> I'm listening to the new Alabama Shakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, also, we are now entering, I think, week four of Jesse Balin Watch on this podcast. Oh, right. Listen to her album I was on the way up call, and down. I was going to call you out on that until you told me you're still listening to it. <laughs> I'm still listening to Jesse Balin. I like it a lot. Right. So um, when you say you listen to it on the way up and down, you mean you climbed into the bed, pulled the covers up to your chin, down and to pressed sleep. play on the Jesse Balin album, then went to sleep. Then when I woke up, play again, <laughs> right. and went back to sleep. Uh-huh. Um, no, up and down on the trip oh, okay. on my on my long journey. So uh, Alabama Shakes, honestly. The, the reviews were kind of, you know, I was excited for it. Mm-hmm. And then the reviews kind of hit and it was kind of, you know, some people were like, eh, it's okay. And uh, so I downloaded it and I actually didn't listen to it until the way down. All the way up, I was listening to other stuff. Uh-huh. And um, finally on the way down, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this album a shot. First song, single, not interesting. I don't like it. I, I can hear why it's the single. Mm-hmm. But musically, it's not interesting to me. It just kind mm-hmm. of follows the same kind of rhythm. It has a great opening though. Mm-hmm. It opens with this, with you know, um, with the singer kind of like squeal, like this kind of squeal, and then she goes in. You know, she's like, I think I've heard both the singles, and I think I liked both the singles. 
it, there, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Second song comes on. Don't like it. <laughs> Hardly at all. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh-huh. Third song comes. Amazing. Uh-huh. Then it goes like third, fourth, fifth, sixth song. All amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, seventh, I can see why they did it. They're trying something different. Not my cup of tea. Had some stuff. Eighth song, amazing. Rest of the songs, eh, okay. But that middle section mm-hmm. of the album is really good. Mm. And um, Brittany, I, for, I forgot her last name, but uh, she really, she's like doing this like howl kind of thing. And they process her voice a little bit, which I think it really needs. The first album, I can't listen to all the way through because of her voice. It's just... right. Do they make her sound any less like Adam Sandler's lunch lady? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, I I would say, I would say it's definitely worth worth a try. All right. Um, with those provisos, I honestly think I'll just listen to the same sheer four sheer mag songs over and over again. <laughs> All right. Instead. If you ever want to switch it up, listen to Star Trek Three. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I heard. I th- I watched their performances on SNL is what I did. And I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting at least. They've always been great performers. But her voice, ever since Julia made the pointed it out that she kind of sounds like the lunch lady that Adam Sandler does, I cannot I can't. I can I can't not hear it. Well, I don't hear it on this. Oh man. So recommendations. Last week I recommended the Alan Wake. Did you watch or read yeah, the Yeah, I watched article? and read and read the article and you know, I feel like if I'm remembering correctly too, like the headline was like the Alan Wake game you'll never see or whatever. Right. And by the end of the article they're like maybe we'll see it. Right. Like it ends on this like super positive note where everybody's like, "Hey, we're finishing up this other game. We're all really interested in Alan Wake." So I was like, "Why why like I read the title and that made me not want to read the rest of the article because I mm. love the first Alan Wake game. Right. And then to all of a sudden have it be like by the end, like, oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, well, and they also just announced that they're strongly considering an Alan Wake remaster for the Xbox One. Right. So I'd that. probably get it again. I, 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 I might, too. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind playing through it again. I got um, the American Nightmare mm-hmm. downloadable content, too, on, on the 360. Mm-hmm. Um. Honestly, Alan Wake, for some reason, like the themes too, I guess, it really is terrifying to me. Like, yeah. I, I tried to play through it again, and I really was scared. Yeah, it's it. a scary game. But um, but I loved I loved their their prototype. Yeah, the prototype looked great, and it their looked ideas really looked, looked really interesting. Yeah, interacting with the um, environment more, great mm-hmm. idea. Um, the kind of gameplay mechanic and the fictional stuff mm-hmm. becoming real. Loved it, and the interview... Um, kind of lead in mm-hmm. i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. yeah all right so uh what's your recommendation you have a recommendation for me my recommendation for you is a documentary on youtube okay it's called free to play so it's about games yeah it's about dota 2 specifically oh, really yeah all right it's actually valve's documentary 
and oh. it follows four professional gamers. How long is it? It's a regular documentary? Yeah, it's an hour and a half. So free T.O. play? Yep. All right. Free to play on YouTube. Okay, I'll check it out. All right. I'm working on a recommendation for you for the next show that I'm excited about. I'm working on it? Mm-hmm. It's going to... It's... it's. Uh, I'm putting it together. It's taking some work. Um, Is it a photo album of, uh, of our friendship? It's not. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Uh, so that's been, uh, that's been the show. You've been listening to Everything's Interesting. Um, we're, we're a bit, uh, we were, uh, a bit late this week because of scheduling stuff, but we should be back next Monday. Uh, you can follow me, Justin, on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's and Keith, you're on Twitter. Still at Things Come Right. Things Come Right. I need to switch up. Why do you want to switch? First of all, what is that? What does your Twitter handle mean? It's a it's a lyric. Oh, okay. From a song that I really like. Okay. And why are you so anxious to? I'm ready for a change. All right. You've you've grown beyond that song lyric. I'm ready for a new song okay. in my life. <laughs> all right. Maybe, maybe I'll try and transcribe that squeal <laughs> that opens the new Alabama Shakes album. Sure. Sure. Uh, any information, links, you can find. I'll link the um, the articles I talked about in the show notes. Music information is all in the show notes. Uh, all of that stuff you can find in the show notes or at the website, brownbluewhite.com. And they lived happily ever after. Right. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>